From the EPR Creation Studio, welcome to the Unconquered Podcast. Resigned, numb, hard to really be all that scorching hot angry at this point. Takes after Florida State loses at home to Miami in a game that uh, actually in many respects wasn't as close as the 27-10 to score and very much adequately represents where the program is as a whole right now. And yeah, it's not very good. It is not good at all. You know that last year, even though Miami overall, when you look at the numbers, outplayed Florida State last year, that's a game that Florida State with a couple plays changed. If you get the the proper call on the reverse pass there or the, the double pass there, Florida State wins that game. And this one was was never really in doubt. I mean, Miami dominated this game from start to finish, and Florida State looked helpless, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And whether it's accurate or not, that's where at a certain point you you start to feel like you're not improving. You're not you're not making progress. You are going backwards, if anything, relative to say Miami. I don't think that's completely true. But when it comes to the perception, and perceptions matter in this sort of thing, that uh, that's what this kind this game this kind of performance indicates. So this was this was a flat out embarrassing performance for Florida State. I don't think anybody associated with the program would say anything otherwise. And this is not the kind of product that Florida State wants to put out there. It's not the kind of product that Willie Taggart wants to put out there as the head coach of Florida State. Getting to evaluation of the game, and actually before I do that, I should thank my three sponsors. Since this is a quick show, I'll go ahead and do them all three at once. EPR Creations, Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Garage Makeovers down in Palm Beach and Broward County. Thanks, as always, to them for their support of the podcast. But yeah, we knew coming into this game that Florida State would have trouble blocking Miami. I mean, that was that was a discussion throughout the. I mean, I, I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm every every Florida State media member, every pregame analysis of this game says said, well, Miami's got a really good defensive line. It's on par with some of the ones that Florida State hadn't been able to block all season. So unlikely Florida State will be able to block them. We also knew that Hornybrook would probably get exposed against Miami's back end. He's he's very limited as a thrower, and his reputation as a guy who gets the ball out quickly and uh, accurately is really unearned. And this was a game where Miami had the, the players to close some of those giant windows that he'd taken advantage of before and also take advantage of some of the ducks that he would throw for interceptions and or, or that should have been interceptions in prior games. And actually, had they done that, I mean, there were a couple, couple of really, really bad decisions and poor throws that should have been intercepted by Miami that weren't, and this game could have gotten really out of hand had that happened. I mean, especially the one that was the third down throw into double or triple coverage that was an easy interception. Guy had both hands on it that got intercepted in the first half. If that doesn't get dropped then they're that's a very different ball game even there it's going to look even worse and we knew that you know Miami 
let's just start defense. We'll talk defense first. We'll talk Florida State defense, Miami offense first. We knew that Miami's offense basically had a few things you had to worry about. One was big plays running the football on the edge. And then the other was Jeff Thomas on downfield big plays. And you just want to make sure that they don't beat you with Jeff Thomas. Don't let Jeff Thomas beat you. We talked about that in the pregame podcast. And don't let them get big plays on the edge in the running game. And one of the things we talked about was don't go tight front. Don't go as much tight front as what you've been running because Miami can't run the football inside anyway. Don't give them the edge that way. Go more even front. Get some pass rush. Try to try to create some havoc that way. What did Florida State do? Well, they went tight front. <laughs> and they basically all, all game, they didn't have any designated pass rushers to create designed to create one-on-one matchups, you know, an edge rusher or moving an edge rusher inside to get a matchup against a guard or something like that. You're trying to get pass rush with those three defensive tackles in tight fronts. And that's, you're not going to get as much pass rush in that, in that situation as you can in other, in other types of looks. And Jaron Williams was able to sit back. And to me, the surprise of the game defensively was how much time Jaron Williams had to throw the football. He was able to throw the football with a clean pocket on multiple occasions and pick some spots downfield. And he'd struggled throwing the ball downfield all season. I mean, he was, what, 4 of 15 throwing beyond 20, with the, with the ball traveling beyond 20 yards downfield in this game, or coming into this game. And in this game, he... He did it. He did it well. But the reason is, is he was playing seven on seven. He didn't get the kind of pressure in those situations, uh, at least consistently enough, to keep him uncomfortable. And when he was able to set his feet and throw, well, you know, he is a talented thrower from a clean pocket and was able to take advantage of that. I thought the defense got out coached. I thought, uh, and and that's not the first time under this under this regime that they've been out coached. Uh, I thought Miami was able in a couple cases to get to use some formation stuff to get matchups that they wanted against defenders that couldn't run with the guys that, that, that were covering them. And that, that's not, it's not good when teams can basically just say, Oh, we, if we line this guy up here, we get the matchup we want. You're going to end up having no help over top. And then this guy can just run away from your guy. Well, that makes things really easy for the, for the offense and, they were able to do that, and that's where two of the big plays came from. The first one, most obvious one, was Jeff Thomas just getting a one-on-one with no safety help in a quarters-type look. They knew what they were going to get. They got the matchup against the freshman, and Thomas can run away from him. Freshman, Actually, Green was in position initially and kind of uh, stumbled over him as he was trying to get, get position back inside. But with no help there, that's, that's a tough ask of anybody. And yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, the one that really put the game away, the D. Wiggins uh, play, that was that was just a flat out bust. Levante Taylor not in position, completely out of position as a safety. And and this is the thing is I don't want to blame Taylor because if it's happening with multiple guys, if it's not one safety but three safeties, four safeties that are making the same mistakes, well, you can do the math on that. And they were able in some other cases, able to get some big time, uh, some big time plays 
just by formation and knowing what Florida State was going to be in, being able to protect a little, just, just long enough and getting some easy pitch and catch throws. On the other side of the ball, well, I mean, all I can say is awful. I mean, awful. The game plan was poor, I thought. The execution was poor. Everything was bad. And if Harlan Barnett deserves criticism for the way the defense has played at different points in, in this, this season, <laughs> Kendall Bryles is, is, uh, is on the hook for this stinker. I mean, this... Whew, yeah. Yeah, this was, this was not good. And there are a few things. I mean, Miami out-schemed Florida State defensively as well. On, on Miami's defense out-schemed Florida State's offense. I mean, and it was simple stuff. They just moved a few quick guys inside at times when they wanted to get pressure. They moved their designated pass rushers inside and just blew past Florida State's guards. So they already knew they'd beat Florida State's offensive tackles. And when your offensive tackles are whiffing and your guards can't block the, the, the quick guys, they've just moved over them. Well, that's an apocalyptic scenario for you as an offense. And as it turned out, Florida State decided to throw a bunch of passes on a, a lot of quick game on first down. Beats me why. I mean, early on, they you, you look at the first quarter and they tried to, to start out with some wild cam and that sort of thing on first down. And then they got some, again, more of the inexcusable kinds of uh, motion penalties, illegal formation twice, these sorts of things that cost you drives. And so, yeah, that's, that's an excuse. But later on, when you get to the, when you get past that and they did get past that, it, it seemed like the game settled into a rhythm of quick game or, or drop back pass on first down sack eight yard loss, second and 18 run the football, get roughly three yards now third and 15. And you're hoping to get a first down. Now that's not fully accurate, but that sure as heck is what it felt like. And, you know, it happened enough that it's something that you don't want to, you don't want that to happen more than once or twice. And it happened at least, what, three, four times in this game? And mm. the other thing is, if you're going to do that, then you've got to make sure the quarterback's getting rid of the football. But when you're running quick game and you're cut blocking, your quarterback can't double clutch and try to come across to the other side of the field. We've seen Bryle or we've seen uh, uh, Blackman do it this 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 year. Some criticize that. We saw Hornybrook do it in this game and go down with sacks. Kept holding on to the football in quick game. Listen, if it's not there, you throw that ball into the stands, throw it over the head of the out, out, outside receiver, and oops, I, I threw that ball, you know, into the into the into the bench area. My bad. It's real simple. But he, he didn't do it. And the thing is, Miami very clearly didn't respect him down the field and sat on everything underneath. So when Florida State was trying to throw that quick game stuff, it really wasn't there. And then, and then Hornybrook obviously is trying to, trying to pull off of that. Well, the problem is you can't, you can't double clutch. You can't, you can't hesitate. And he did it a bunch. And this is something we've talked about on this podcast. Hornybrook all season has has delayed, has not taken, has not gotten rid of the football on time all too often and has put the ball in danger a lot and has been fortunate not to have a bunch of picks. And in this game, he's fortunate not to have more. 
I mean, he threw one and then Blackman threw the other in the, on the sort of last, last gasp, desperate drive there. But there should have been probably three or four interceptions in this game. Now, and that, that also brings me back to, don't even get me started on Florida State dropping interceptions. Hakeem Dent dropped what is, it might've been his fourth or fifth dropped interception, depending on which ones you credit as true drops. And I'd say at least four on the season have been dropped by Dent. And then you add three drops from, uh, from 24 and uh, several drops from other people. You wonder what, what the narrative would be of Florida state's defensive backs. If their defense would actually hold on to interceptions (laughs) game would be the, the, the narrative would be very different about the defense on the year, but they, as we talked about, even in the preseason podcast, the concern about this secondary is a lot of talent, but they don't make plays. Well, once again, lots of talent. They don't make plays. And Levante Taylor had a, had one that he should have, should have intercepted. It would have been a, a nice catch, but he should have pulled it in. You expect a senior leader to do that. Didn't do it. But in any case, once it was obvious that Hornybrook, that Miami didn't respect Hornybrook at all, and that they were going to sit on everything with him in the pocket and then just bring some pressure against against that quick game look at a certain point you got to start saying okay we 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 can't we can't win with with him doing what he's doing and you make the change yeah blackman isn't a whole lot better but against against miami he at least gives you a chance he at least gives them makes them think about a few extra things gives you a chance to maybe push the ball down the field over the middle in a, in, a, in a few cases and all of that. So I thought that was a mistake not to even think about that until way too late. I also thought that this would have been, and, and I talked about it in the pregame, I didn't think that they'd be able to block Miami in terms of pass rush, but I thought the be- their best chance would be to, to really commit to this being a low, low scoring game and commit to QB3, commit to the wild cam with LeBorn in the backfield do the toss power stuff, do do some true single wing stuff, do a bunch of true legit option type type stuff, veer, and make them stop it over and over again. And yeah, they may stop it initially, but commit to it. They did not commit to it sufficiently. They did have some success on it early in the second ha- in the second half. But overall, they did not run the football enough on the day. And I know, again, Akers had 22 carries, but again, not enough because this was a game you knew you needed to commit to this being a low-scoring game. You needed to commit to playing playing defense, playing to ultimately force some things open that way. And the way that they, I thought the way that this game was called, I thought the way that, that in general the, the game plan went, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was very good. And then you add in all of the discipline problems and the penalties and the illegal formation and yet again, all the talking. And it's frustrating to watch. And when you start your... I mean, I know it's not normal to, for, for regimes to only get two years. But when you start your career at Florida State 0 for 6 against your, your three rivals... That's um that's that's tough to come back from. Whether whether Willie Taggart is brought back for a third year or not, 
starting 0 and 6 against your against your rivals especially when one of them is really down like Miami has been and Florida was last year and then you're watching Florida very quickly build back i mean they gave Georgia all they could handle today despite again not being very good when Dan Mullen took over at the same time that's one of those things that a lot of the big money boosters and all of that i mean just speaking frankly these guys at a certain point are somebody I know there's not a whole lot of money at Florida State, but at a certain point, somebody, enough people start chipping in and, and things have to change. But the reality there, and I've gotten a lot of questions about this since, since the game ended, so I'll address a couple of them. The reality is that Florida State is in a different position now than they were when Jimbo left in terms of attractiveness to candidates. Because, in part because then they actually had the money to potentially th- uh, go after a few coaches with big buyouts if they wanted to. Now, if you're going to have to, if you're going to hit the reset button now, and I, you know, there's talk of that definitely in high places right now. If you're going to hit the reset button right now, that's 25, 30 million in buyout money to buy out the staff. That's presuming you're, you're changing the head coach and the staff and all of that. Cause you bring in a new guy and odds are, that guy's going to want all his people. Then you're looking at $25, $30 million, and you haven't even hired a new staff, which is going to cost at least that. And yeah, some of that gets prorated. Some of that ends up being offset, you know, if a, if a guy gets another job. But still, that's a ton of money. The majority of that is not offset, which thank you, Stan Wilcox. And uh, yeah, it's just, this is just not a conversation you want to be having year two in a, in a program, in a regime. But at the end of the day, you can't have 40 blue chip players on your roster. Even if there is an imbalance and you're bad up front, you can't get out coached on both sides of the ball. You can't look like that against a rival. Who's not a whole lot better than you, who has, who's not any better than you up front on the offensive line. Their offensive line isn't very good either. And yet, they were able to, uh, to do enough to beat Florida State. And we'll just go ahead and leave it at that. I'll, I'll be back later in the week to discuss a little bit more. But yeah. Actually, there's one more thing I'll, I'll address. I was asked uh, on Twitter, how much difference that we're, that we're seeing is the result, or how much is different if, if Howell doesn't decommit and Florida State has Howell? I think that I think this season they're probably they probably already have six wins. They might not have beaten uh, Miami tonight because the the game plan d- doesn't suggest that they should have. But yeah, that's uh, I think I think the quarterback position has been a, enough of a problem for them that that's been uh, that's been an issue, and and that that would have made a pretty significant difference. One other question I also got this is from the Patreon side, so I, I'll answer this promptly. I understand there's no time for Hornybrook, but what's wrong with going seven-man protection and at least giving wide receivers a shot? We can't push the ball downfield at all? Well, they did go seven-man protection a few times and still gave up sacks in some cases, partly because Hornybrook won't pull the trigger. And the other thing is, we can't push the ball downfield at all? Well, that's the thing with Hornybrook, is that he really can't. He doesn't have the arm, really, to do it. And that's that's an issue. That's a factor, and... So when you go seven man protection, but your guy actually can't make the throws, then you're just 
take you're just running more time off the clock before the sack happens. So, yeah. We'll just go ahead and leave it there, but it's the it's a bad combination when you're when you're when you have a bad offensive line, bad quarterback play and you're getting out schemed on both sides of the ball, well you're not going to get a lot of um not going to get a lot of wins out of that combination and that's where things stand. Before I uh, before I go, I do want to thank those supporters over at Patreon above the bleached numbers level. Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, and Bert Bertoldi. I'll cover more about the Miami game in the next podcast once I've taken a closer look. I'm Jason Staples. This has been the Unconquered Podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville and Garage Makeovers in Palm Beach and Broward County. Once again, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. Thanks for listening. I made this.